Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. In a time in which so many religious institutions are revealed as toxic and unhealthy, walking away from some kinds of faith systems is not only understandable, but necessary. But are there other metaphors for what this process might entail other than deconstruction? One more time, if you don't mind standing with me, let's just go to our gospel text, John chapter 14. Always like standing for the gospel reading, John 14, beginning verse 23. Jesus said to Judas, not Iscariot, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. And here's where I want to really focus our attention. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. Pray with me one more time. God, we just ask now that even the same way that you promised us that you would not leave us orphaned, you would not leave us abandoned, but you said you'd send the Holy Spirit, the advocate with the Father, the paraclete. We welcome that spirit, that spirit that reminds us of everything that you said, that spirit that teaches us everything, that spirit that guides us into all truth, that spirit that gently corrects us, steers us, guides us, that always comforts us. And forever needs to hear this tonight. We just read the words again where you told us not to be afraid, for our hearts not to be troubled. Teach us how not to be troubled, but instead to welcome the very real presence the very real spirit of Christ that mediates your peace to us even now. We welcome that peace and we welcome your words, asking the Holy Spirit to allow these words to come to life in us now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. You grab a seat. So tonight I want to give a little talk that again, I feel like it's kind of speaking to my people. I was, as I was in South Africa, I was with one of my best friends in the world, Jared McKenna from Australia. Jared is an extraordinary human being, peace activist, award-winning peace activist. I spent much of the last 15 years or so living in intentional community with refugees under the same roof. And it's been powerful through uh, the Love Makes a Way movement to see how God has used him in Australia, 
people who followed him know. I don't know how much you know about Australian politics. They're dealing with a lot of the same challenges and issues that we're dealing with here. But um, Jared's work for prisoners on the island of Manus, where people have been in, in kind of just indefinite detention and deplorable circumstances, sneaking on and off of Manus. There's incredible stories about all that we've talked about on podcasts we've done together. He's, one, he's just an amazing human being, not only my friend, but someone who I admire deeply. And we were teaching this class. And uh, Jared some, said something almost in passing in class one day, but that we sort of jammed out in conversations that we've had all week. And I, I just keep thinking about it. And we were talking about, and I'll give some context here in a second. We were talking about the language of deconstruction which is language that's used a lot right now. I think sometimes used in sort of confusing ways because deconstruction proper is kind of 1960s French philosophy. I don't know anybody who's reading those philosophers or really knows what deconstruction means in those terms that uses it now. But I think it's become popularized to mean, especially like in faith circles, especially for people I know come out of more kind of evangelical spirituality, Deconstruction is a way of sort of critically evaluating your faith and where you come from, deconstructing in terms of like um, kind of taking the pieces apart. And I think that can be good and healthy and right. I feel like I've been around a lot of people who've been deconstructing. I feel like that's very much my call. But Jared said something in passing that I thought was so wonderful that he said, first of all, that deconstruction is probably not the most helpful term. What we need more is to be decolonized than deconstructed. But he went on to say, and I thought this, I promise I'll unpack all this, that maybe what we need more than deconstruction is transfiguration. And I've been thinking about that a lot these last few days. So here's my riff. I just read the gospel text where Jesus promises the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I will send the Holy Spirit. This is the very real presence that's at work in Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is now been made available to us. This is the gift of Pentecost, once again. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. And I think something about being in South Africa this week around a lot of activists and around a lot of people who are doing really amazing work in the world in a context that's just different from here. You know, my friends who are Christian in South Africa right now are hardcore. And the ones who come from like me from a Pentecostal tradition are, are really hardcore in terms of the work that they're doing in the world. They're in the poorest communities and there's wonderful, and, and even being around some of those leaders was such a humbling thing this week, but especially in a culture in which apartheid still looms so large and seeing this radical liberating work of the Holy Spirit, I just, I just felt like I tapped into something again that I needed to see and to feel. It was good to be around Christians that are, don't get me wrong, they have issues like anybody else. They're working their own issues. They're working their own trauma. They're working their own pain. But that don't seem quite so constricted by those things. Who are actually going about the work of bringing God's kingdom peace, God's shalom at work in the world. So I don't know. 
I feel like I'm giving a lot of disclaimers and I'm really not trying to, to wade into a thing. Like, here, here's, here's part of what I think I'm struggling to articulate right now. So I feel like part of my gift, part of my, say it's a gift, whatever you want to call it, part of my calling in the last few years is I feel called to sons and daughters of the church who've been disillusioned and disenchanted and disenfranchised. I've, those are the people I feel most called to. If you've ever heard me teach before, I feel like I don't, it's not like a stock sermon. Like I feel like the word that God gave me that I've spoken a lot in the last couple of years, I've talked so much about the road to Emmaus, those two disciples who in despair and desolation leave Jerusalem because Jerusalem, which once was a safe space, which once was a sacred space, is now the ground in which they've seen Jesus of Nazareth killed. And so now it's not a safe space anymore. Once was a safe space, feels like a desecrated space. But so they leave Jerusalem, they leave institution, they leave temple, but it's precisely in leaving Jerusalem that they have this encounter with the risen Jesus. So I feel like my riff, I'm writing about this, by the way, my book, my next book, which is long, long, long overdue, is largely about this. It's kind of a hopeful, um, I don't want to say spin, but like a legitimately hopeful approach. Like I actually see the Holy Spirit at work in that. And when I see some of the foundations, especially in the Western church, that are being shaken, I'm not discouraged by that. I think that there are foundations that need to be shaken. And I think I'm not trying to beg people to like stay in Jerusalem. You can have an encounter with God on the road. And that's kind of the whole motif is this idea that in Jesus, we have the God who walks with you even on the road away from God. Y'all can feel that there's a, can you feel that, that there's a giant butt coming like and all this? Like this is stuff I feel like I talk about all the time. And so I'm so like there. I, I care so much about people that feel like they're on the margins of the church for any and all kinds of reasons. Um, I'll tell you what my concern is, though. And I'll be honest with you. The fact that so much in my life in more recent years, I feel like part of what happened, I'm such a weird mix of so many things. And especially in terms of my own discipleship, I feel like a lot of the gifts that I most needed in the broader body of Christ, I found in the black church tradition in America. Um, there's this tradition of liberation. That's really what Jared and I were talking about. Teaching this week was a gospel that liberates. I found such liberation. I found a freedom movement. I became convinced that Christianity at its core has always been a movement towards liberation. And my concern is, can I, can I just say this the way I kind of want to say it, is that in this context in which everybody's deconstructing, 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 and that's all there is. There's nothing but taking things apart taking the engine apart. That's good. Look at it piece by piece, sort it, figure out what needs to stay, figure out what needs to go. Like I'm all in favor of that. And anybody who knows me knows this isn't coming from a place of like being concerned about, I don't know, people's eternal souls. And that's not even what I'm talking about. But what I am concerned about is that when all you have is deconstruction, and there's not this sense of the, the immediacy of Pentecost, that God sends God's spirit into the world to fill us with God's power in a way to transform the world. You know, if you're a Christian who's decided that you're no longer like a fundamentalist who believes the world is 6,000 years old, like, congratulations, I've not been that kind of fundamentalist for like 20 years. That's great. But I just think like, being a Christian who's now allowed to cuss and watch Game of Thrones doesn't change the world. 
sitting around having endless hours of conversation about deconstruction doesn't change the world. Because while there are plenty of oppressive systems in the church that need to be addressed, I've got news for you. There are real principalities and powers that work in the broader world. And if you kind of just because you step outside the umbrella of the institutional church doesn't mean you're any less imprisoned to consumerism as anybody else. Still motivated by the same greed, the same impulses. You just get to watch TV more. And this moves the story forward. How do you hear what I'm saying? There's not judgment and condemnation here. Legitimately, I have seen, I have in some cases, I think, been the product of, I think a lot of us have been, a kind of spirituality that has not been good news for all people. Has it been good news for anybody who isn't white and middle class? Has it been good news for LGBT friends? Has it been good news? I mean, there are so many systems and stories that I think have been swept up in the narrative of a co-opted Western church that have been compromised and unhealthy. And if you need a break from that, if you can't do that right now, there is no judgment here. But the tension I'm talking about is this. You know, going all the way back to the beginning of this story for the church, I can't imagine an image that would be more triggering for someone who grew up under the shadow of the Roman Empire than that of a cross. When it's part of your daily life that you actually see people crucified, and um, as it was under one emperor, Christians are actually lit on fire as, and used as torches. Do you understand how shameful? Do you understand how much reproach there was that was bound up to use the image of the cross at all? Nothing could be more triggering, more violent, more traumatic than the cross. And yet what those early Christians did is they used a symbol of trauma. They used a symbol of violence. They used a symbol that inevitably stirred up pain and shame just to think about for anybody who lived in these communities. And because in the case of Nero and others, they're being actively persecuted and and were crucified in droves, it becomes an even deeper symbol of trauma and pain. And yet there's this idea among these early Christians that we're going to take this symbol of trauma and pain And we're going to transfigure it. We're going to subvert it. So what ought to be the ultimate image of trauma and shame and pain, we're going to own it and reclaim it and make it mean something else. Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? That's certainly what I've seen in the black church in America. That's just not a world in which you hear a spiritual and people talk about being triggered by things. There's way too much actual pain. And there's way too much of a whole tradition that's bound up and that's invested in this idea that the pain that's even been inflicted by others who would reject us, we are going to take it, we're going to transfigure it and turn it into a symbol of liberation. I don't even know if I have a right to talk about these things as a white American male. I'm not trying to lecture anybody. I'm not trying to police anybody's feelings. What I am trying to tell y'all is that there is not only real injustice in the world, but at the bottom of that injustice is real, deep, systemic evil. 
And not unlike the disciples when they came back to Jesus after trying to cast out uh, spirits out of a man and they, you know, and G- there's that, 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 that obscure verse that says, you know, this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. See, that's my thing, man. I'm just convinced that if there's not a deep, robust spirituality where we're actually shaped in the practices of the church, we're actually like shaped as a people. I just don't think that we have what it takes to be light and to bring any kind of real social change in the midst of a world with, with this much pain. Does that make any kind of sense? This is, I'm not doing this. I'm not shaming anybody. I'm not saying anybody's not holiness, not, is not holy enough. It's not like that at all. I'm saying if everything is traumatic and everything is triggering and there's no space to be transfigured, I have a lot of conversations these days about, you know, Richard Rohr wrote uh, this book, The Universal Christ. I was just at the conference. I thought it was a great conference. I love Father Rohr. But, you know, when Father Rohr talks about the universal Christ, and the cosmic Christ, in other words, like the, you know, the bigness and the grandness of the image of Christ, he does that as a monk who's been deeply shaped in the practices of a tradition. And I just feel like a lot of folks now, like, want to skip to the punchline like, let's just all be friends and hold hands. But that's great. But if you don't have particular spiritual practices in your life, then inevitably you just get co-opted by other narratives. So again, I know this is a lot of inside baseball, and some people are watching and listening thinking you have no idea what I'm talking about. So feel free to just check out if you need to. But some people know exactly what I mean. Just because you've not been co-opted by a false narrative from fundamentalism doesn't mean you're not being co-opted by other false narratives. What I'm telling you, what I'm I'm suggesting gently, precisely because I do think it is a dark time and precisely because I think there are real forces that we're trying to stare down and precisely because I do think the the forces of evil and hatred and justice in the world are very real, is that we need the real power of a real Holy Spirit in order to take these things on. And it's going to take something deeper. It's going to take something more grounded. The trouble with a lot of the conversation about deconstruction is that it's such a radically privileged one. This is what white people talk about sitting around drinking cappuccinos at Starbucks. Do you understand not everybody has that privilege of sitting in intellectual conversations, taking it all apart? There's still real work to be done. And that work requires power. That work requires The Holy Spirit. Am I triggering anybody to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit? Because it's good news. See, that's that's the reason why I'm feisty on this particular point. Because you're not going to sell me on a narrative that says the church is fundamentally patriarchal, colonial, and if I escape Christianity, I'm escaping that. I will tell you that those forces have been present in the church. But that is part of a church post-Constantine. Do you know the story of Constantine, the Roman emperor? I don't even know what I'm doing right now, except I'm having a good time. I hope you are. The Roman emperor who goes out and claims to see a vision of a cross in the sky. And he says, his word is, by this sign, we will conquer. And all of a sudden, the cross, which is supposed to be a symbol of transfiguring, radical, self-sacrificial love, is now used as a symbol of war. There's a long history under Constantine of a church that's been co-opted by empire and everything else. But I'm going to contend, as long as I've got breath in me, that the Jesus movement has always been a liberation movement. It's always been. 
that the Bible story, rightly understood, has always been a liberation story. You can't talk about Martin Luther King and not talk about Exodus. You can't talk about the civil rights, better said, the freedom movement, and not talk about the biblical framework of that story because it was everything. It was everything. And even among the work that has gone and is still going on in the struggle against apartheid in South Africa, oddly enough, because I know a lot of the oppression comes through colonized Christian forces, but yet I see it over and over again. It's always radical Christians. It's people like Bishop Tutu see that around the world who have the bravery and the courage and are tapped into that sense of spirit that bring that kind of like real change. So I'm not convinced that to walk away from the church, capital C, is to walk away from is to walk away from all those idols. I think those are idols that need to be named and need to be walked away from. Just like when Jesus cast out the demons in Mark chapter five, he first asked the man, what is your name? I think there are some demons that need to be named. And some of these forces of oppression and injustice, they really do need to be named. I'm comfortable naming them. I'm comfortable talking about white supremacy as, as something, as a, as a stronghold that needs to be named, it needs to be named. It needs to be, but I, that's never been what the Jesus movement has been about. That's never been what authentic Christianity is about. I don't know. I feel like I'm saying a lot of things. But to bring back to this central image again, I'm not even taking too much longer. I just keep thinking about the cross right now. The way that the cross takes a symbol of trauma and transfigured it into something else. So that now no one else is able to weaponize that trauma and use it against you. Because there's agency that's reclaimed. (laughs) There's power that is being reclaimed. I always think, man, if people need to come apart, come apart. Like if you need to break down, break down. There's always space and room for that. But I'm also so hungry for a radical Jesus movement in our time. And I'm just convinced because precisely because the stakes are high and precisely because the injustice out there is very real. If we're all so fragile. And can I just say it that way? White people are very, very fragile. Are very fragile. And in this regard, I think we actually need to contextualize. Does it mean that some of us haven't suffered? Does it mean that any of our trauma or pain should be minimized? None of that. But maybe we should stop acting like the first people who've ever suffered. <laughs> the first people who've ever been hurt. Maybe we should listen to the people who've been hurt in the most radical ways. And yet found that's where I'm getting this stuff from. (laughs) I'm not making this stuff up. When I sit under the feet of the great teachers, like this is what I get. Everything's triggering. And now you want to go take on injustice. Good luck with that. Because I promise you. And I think that's part of what Christianity's best has its courage to name. That those principalities and powers that work in the world are, in fact, evil. They're powerful. They're strong. They are real. Those forces that we have to resist are very real. Is this making any kind of sense at all? Like that, that stuff is like very real. It's going to take a robust faith. It's going to take a grounded faith. And because I actually, believe it or not, am trying to preach from the gospel text, it's, I'll say it again. It's going to take the real power of a very real Holy Spirit. Like we need that. We need that. 
I'm so hungry to get back to that place where without cynicism and without manipulation and without coercion and without guilt trips or any of that, I'm just in a place right now where I'm just so open to the power of the Holy Spirit again. Because I believe that whatever the Spirit does, it's always in love. It always brings freedom. It always brings peace. It brings the fruit of the Spirit. It brings goodness, gentleness, kindness. It doesn't bring division. It doesn't bring pain. Nobody gets left out. It's good. (laughs) You don't have to be worried about getting traumatized by the Holy Spirit. Because precisely what the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is by definition, not what, who. The Holy Spirit, who I often refer to as in the feminine, actually, and there's a I'll do this another time. There's strong reason I think in Christian tradition to do so because the Holy Spirit, she is the comforter. The Holy Spirit soothes the pain. The Holy Spirit soothes the wounds. Yes, I know you might have been to a church at some point in your life where people freaked out in the name of the Holy Spirit and made you or tried to coerce you into doing things that felt uncomfortable. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that when we really open ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit, oh, Spirit brings love. What does the Spirit do? reminds us of everything that Jesus said. Teaches us everything that we need to know. That's my word right now to middle-class deconstructing Christians. You still don't know everything. Maybe we still actually need the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe we still actually need some teaching on blessing our enemies and turning the other cheek. Maybe we still need some teaching on how it is the poor and the poor in spirit who are blessed and those who mourn. Maybe we actually need that stuff. And maybe it's not just as simple as getting your eyes open and walking away from one form of toxic spiritual, maybe coming out of that. Great. Even if you've legitimately been liberated from something, what are you liberated for? What is it for? For more coffee at Starbucks about deconstruction. You hear what I'm saying? There has to be something more to the plot than that. There's got to be something more to it than that. There's got to be something bigger to the story. (laughs) Has to be bigger. And now these things are out on the internet. (laughs) Uh, John, that came back jet lagged in a hat and he just said all kinds of things. I don't think I'm taking this back, though, because I, f- I, just, I just feel this so deeply in my core. It's, I'm wrapping up, I promise. It's precisely because transfiguration, transfiguration, the way that God can take things that are, that are common, the way God can take things that are so broken and so ugly, and yet turn them into something. Oh man, there's just something about when you're able to reclaim the dark matter of your past and you're able to revisit. You can't do that overnight, by the way. I'm aware that takes a process of healing. But you know how powerful it is to go back to the places in which you've been wounded or hurt and to realize that those voices and those people don't have the same kind of power over you anymore? Like at some point, that actually is the goal. Like to where we're not always on the run from everything. But there's actually like a, a way that we're able to reclaim our story. That's, you know, part of what was so fun this week is I felt like Jared and I were able to teach people how to read the Bible in such subversive ways. And it's so much fun. 
I'm not going to let crazy people take the scripture away from me. It's too beautiful. It's too good. It's way too good. And it's a liberation text. I'm not going to let people with another agenda take that out of my hands. I'm not going to spend my whole life constantly like trying, like debunking Jerry Falwell or something. I don't know. I just get, I just get bored with all of that. That's what I'm trying to say with some of this. Some of the conversation just frankly bores me. Oh my God. I'm so glad that you are no longer in Sunday school. And now like you think you're so enlightened because you think that Jonah's is a metaphor. Whoa. Is it 1987? Is this still a conversation we're actually having? Like, how old is the earth kind of creation? I'm like, who is still having these conversations? And how is anyone smarter from them? You hear what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> everything I've said, I'm saying is going to be misinterpreted in so many different directions. I just think, like, it's just not that amazing to simply not be a fundamentalist. You know, it's not that amazing to just like come out of a thing. We still have to embody a, at least hopefully, a radically different kind of alternative witness to the world. That's what the world needs. That's what we need. We still need to be transformed. We still need to be transfigured. And as much as I'm not a, um, a fire and brimstone person, I think so much of the kind of teaching people have gotten about sin is so, so toxic and healthy. I still do think this. We still do have kind of a fundamental built bent towards self. And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to liberate us from that bent towards self and to move into self-giving towards others and to the world. That takes prayer. That takes time. That takes investing in spiritual practices that actually stretch us and challenge us. And right now, I feel like I can't introduce anything that stretches or challenges anybody. I'm triggered. Come on, man. Everybody who's trying to make you think hard isn't necessarily triggering you. <laughs> like, we still, I, we still need to be challenged. So much of, I think, what is actually happening in the Sermon on the Mount, I think this is even what happens in Paul, rightly understood, is that the old self, the default thinking, is always driven by ego. And that ego does need to be challenged. That ego does need to be confronted. That ego does have a kind of idolatry that the self-giving, transfiguring love of the gospel calls us calls to us to be transfigured and to be, in the words of Romans 12, we need our minds to be renewed. We need to be transformed. We need to be transfigured. Thank you for listening today. More from Jonathan Martin. Go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to support this podcast and help us keep going, go to patreon.com slash sonofapreacherman and we appreciate your support. Remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will help you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. God bless.